0: I'm Stephanie Williams, a writer extraordinaire, and you are listening to The Nerd by Word.
1: Happy Monday! No, seriously, that means you get a brand new episode of the Nerd By Word podcast, the only show where Trekkers and Jedi sit down at the table of fellowship, where a true believer, mighty Marvelites, and whatever DC fans call themselves gather together to nerd out about all things in the multiverse.
2: Salty boys and girls is what the DC fans call themselves, Chris. Salty boys and girls. <laughs>
1: Uh, Today, we have a very special interview with writer Stephanie Williams. She's written for sites like Nerdist, Sci-Fi, Rotten Tomatoes. She also produced my favorite indie comic of 2020, Living Heroes, which is a crazy mashup of Marvel superheroes and the 90s sitcom Living Single. So we'll be sure to dive into that as well. But first, our senior video game correspondent, Dave, is in the field at his home with some nerd news.
2: There is a big field right behind my home, and that's where I'm at. (laughs) I got some Star Wars news that actually has got me excited, and it has nothing to do with movies or television. I think our long national nightmare is officially over. It appears that Electronic Arts no longer holds exclusive license to make Star Wars video games anymore. When I heard this news, I I felt a disturbance in the force, uh, as if millions of voices cried out in joy. Without joking, I mean, this is great news, and we got our first inkling that things are about to change when it was announced that Ubisoft is working on a massive open-world Star Wars game. Now, given Ubisoft's track record, they certainly are able to make open-world games. Uh, Their efforts in recent Assassin's Creed games and, of course, the Far Cry series show they've got that kind of gameplay down pat at this point. Now, here's hoping they will not overstuff the map with busy work, but instead with meaningful quests and side quests, a little less Far Cry, a little more Horizon Zero Dawn, if you get my meaning. Lucasfilm Games has also announced that they are working with Bethesda Studio Machine Games on a new Indiana Jones game. And this just gives me goosebumps. Is it possible that Disney has finally figured out that they need to partner with great developers to make money off of video games? Machine Games has been working on Wolfenstein games for a while now, so they know all about uh, setting a large and life hero up against Nazis. You know, in in short, there are some really cool Lucasfilm-related video games on the horizon, and I'm really excited about that. I was so disappointed with the two Battlefront games that came out of this EA exclusivity deal. And now that things are opening up and more developers can get a little taste of Star Wars and put their own stamp on it, I think we're going to see a much bigger variety of gameplay styles, uh, a bigger variety of, of genres represented as Star Wars games. And I think that is very exciting. I'm very optimistic about getting good Star Wars games, more optimistic than I've been in a long time. Chris, what do you think?
1: Yeah, if you wouldn't have made this your story, it would have been mine. Uh, particularly the the Ubisoft uh idea. I've I've made no secret my love for the Assassin's Creed French franchise, and particularly with like the timeline reset. Um, when they went to Origins with Egypt, when they went to Odyssey with Greece, and now I'm playing Valhalla in um in Scandinavia and, and uh, the UK, and it is. It just gets better and better and better, particularly the last three games have been out of this world. Um, and uh, I'm just so, so excited with with the prospect of just transplanting that idea into the Star Wars universe because it's so ripe for it. Like it's begging. This is a game that's begging to be made. It's, it's this type of game. It's funny that with like the, the news stories that I saw with this leak it was an image of uh cal kestis from jedi fallen order which an open world star wars game by ubisoft is what that game should have been and why it was such a letdown for me um it, it was it had all the makings of it and it had all like the bare bones of it but you're done with that game i finished it in two days and and it's just like the solo campaign which was nice But then after you finish the main story, there's nothing else to do except go back and collect like cloaks and things like it's so I'm so glad that I rented it out of Redbox and and only spent like $6 rather than paying $60 for the full price. And even now it's on like Game Pass as part of the EA thing. And I have no I, I mean, I downloaded it, but I haven't even touched it. Because there's no point. I've beaten the campaign. There's nothing else to do with it. So, like, I'm so geeked out about this. I can't even say enough. Like, it's just a perfect game concept. It's just the perfect idea. And then going to the Indiana Jones game, like, this is super exciting as well because I fondly remember the last time they made an Indiana Jones game on, like, the original Xbox and how much fun I had playing that. So, you know, and that was probably 15 years ago um, or more. So, so updating that, um, in, in today's market and, and the things that they're able to do in the gaming industry now, is just, it's just so much fun to speculate. Um, much more excited about the Indiana Jones game than I am the movie though.
2: Yeah, I think I can agree with that. Um, obviously I, I had an interesting, uh, exclamation when we, uh, first discussed, you know, the idea of ancient Harrison Ford saddling up as Indiana Jones again. Um, but yeah, I'm really, really excited about about these video games. I think there's just there's some good games on the horizon, and and this just uh, it 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 kind of brightened my day. Now, Chris, talking about brightening our days, let's go ahead and go the opposite way with a really, really weird story. What you got?
1: Okay, so we've talked previously about the curious case of Ray Fisher and, and Warner Brothers, and so it looks like this has taken another turn, possibly a, a crescendo. Because Ray Fisher has indeed been written out of the Flash film. Uh, he took to Twitter. Ray Fisher took to Twitter himself and posted uh, a rather extensive statement. I, I highly recommend you check it. We, I'm not going to read the entire thing. It's, it's quite extensive. Um, but it's but it's really, really interesting to look at, really eye-opening over the situation. But he did confirm that he has been written out of the Flash film and in a role that would have been, uh, quote, so much more than a cameo so it seems like um wb is all intents and purposes parting ways with ray fisher going forward and and they're not recasting the role um much of the statement was geared towards um opening criticism towards dc films president walter hamada who fisher claims covered for Uh, former co-president Jeff Johns, famed comic book writer, who kind of was phased out uh, of the executive branch of DC Films, um, but that they were more than happy to do away with Joss Whedon because they had no future future dealings with him, and and that Whedon and even John Berg were an easy target, either ones to get rid of, but uh, he claims that Walter Hamada was very, very protective of Jeff Johns, and um, that most of the issues that took place on the set from all three were uh, accusations of racism from Fisher's part. So it just looks like it's a really, really sticky mess. Fisher says that I cannot in good conscience, you know, continue working with Warner Brothers films um, because they are enabling things like this to happen. So it's a really, really unfortunate situation. Um, I think the world of Ray Fisher, I think he was in a film that, you know, upon revisiting the, the, the original justice league theatrical cut, I I don't have a whole lot wrong with it. if, If I'm being honest and there, there are some elements that definitely need to be improved, but I think by and large, he is one of the strongest elements of that film. So I'm sad to see him go. And if indeed he was subjected to this type of behavior, Um, which he calls blatant racism from Johns uh, and, and and Whedon and Berg uh, It's just frustrating that um, if, if they indeed are covering for him, that this is, this is happening. And I, I really wish that he was able to continue playing this role because he's so fantastic in it.
2: I really don't know what to say about any of this. The whole situation is just to me, uh, the height of, of bizarre at this point. Um, and I feel really bad for Ray Fisher and all this, because I think he, you know, genuinely tried to call attention to, to a problem. Um, and I'm concerned that the guy has really uh, put him, is now put been put in a position where his career is going to suffer. Uh, perhaps even, you know, beyond just, you know, working with, with Warner or, or DC in particular. Um, I'm really hoping that, uh, this this kind that he doesn't basically have a mark on him, like as, as a, an actor who who makes waves or makes things difficult for executives, because we we all know that that people in power like to like to stay in power. And, and so I'm, I'm worried for the guy. On the flip side, um, I don't like how it happened, but there is uh To a certain extent, creatively speaking, uh, I still believe that that the Flash movie should be predominantly Flash. I don't think there should be multiple Batman. I don't think there should be a a cyborg. I think we need a movie that's just the Flash. And so I really wished uh, from the creative side that that's what Warner was actually pursuing um, rather than, you know, removing Ray Fisher for some kind of, as some kind of revenge or something that they would just kind of purge that movie of all these, you know, 8 billion cameos and just make a good flash movie. Um, But yeah, this situation is just absolutely bizarre and, 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 and heartbreaking in a lot of ways. Um, Yeah. i just, as a D as a DC fan, I feel like this whole thing has left a real, a real stink on on DC-produced movies for the future.
1: Yeah, I think so too. And and it's really unfortunate if that is indeed the case and, and he doesn't get a lot of work going forward because he came out of nowhere. I believe this was his first serious job and, and to come on so with such a strong performance and then to be basically blacklisted would be just awful. Um, and I, I totally echo your sentiments about the Flash film. I think they're putting the cart before the horse again. They're they're trying to do a flashpoint film before they even establish a solid character in the Flash. Like that that should mean something. And and I'll I'll go back to what you said about alternate universes and things. We should have a a, a basic understanding of the character, um, and, and it should be basically established in this film universe um, before we even think about going to a multiverse situation and. That's not been done. I mean, Ezra Miller was barely, you know, featured in, in in Justice League. Certainly not enough to go into a the next project that he's a part of is this big universe multiverse crossing event.
2: And you know, I'm going to say it. I, I I enjoy a lot of the comic books written by Jeff Johns. There's some good stuff in there, but I think we need to stop on the movie side of things just trying to ad- adapt his work almost exclusively from a lot of the animated features to justice league, basically being uh, based on, on his new 52 relaunch of justice league to now the flash being based on his, on his story flashpoint. Um, I I think we need to back off on that. Even the green lantern to some extent was inspired by Jeff John's run on green lantern. And so let's remember that DC comics has an incredibly rich long history that there are fantastic characters, there have been fantastic writers before Jeff Johns, there will be fantastic writers after Jeff Johns. DC, the movie division, does not need to become the Jeff Johns show. There are other creators' works that would probably lend themselves better to adaptations. I've said it before, I think Grant Morrison's work would be ideal for, for a Justice League movie. I would say that Mark Wade's work. Would be significantly better as a foundation for a Flash movie. And frankly, Greg Ruckus' work should be uh, a, a blueprint for a Wonder Woman movie. And if you want to get a good Superman movie, there are so many different things you can look at. But I have a feeling, since Jeff Johns had a run on Superman, ironically with Richard Donner, uh, that if we would ever get a Superman movie, that it would also be inspired by Jeff Johns' run. And again, there are better templates for cinematic adaptations than just a work of Jeff Johns.
1: Well, well, and you, when you lay it out like that, when he's the the co president, or he was co president, so so hopefully like they'll change it up going forward. But when he was the co president of DC Films, it, it's like it's it's a classic case of being surrounded by a bunch of yes men because I mean it's no coincidence that he's the co president of the film division and. All of the movie adaptations, film adaptations, are, are his versions of those characters. I mean, like, it's, it, it's too centric around one creator, one voice, and, and you're stifling out any other type of vision. And so then it's no surprise if, if, you know, he is indeed guilty of some misconduct that they would, you know, try and cover it up and do hush-hush because they're putting all their eggs in the Jeff Johns basket.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, even the Wonder Woman movie was co-written by Jeff Johns. So, you know, we 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 need to switch up definitely on the DC side of things. That's what I would say we we definitely need to switch up. And uh, to circle back around to the Ray Fisher situation, that whole thing is just regrettable, uncomfortable from top to bottom.
1: Absolutely. Um all right, that wraps up our nerd news segment. When we return from our first break, we'll be sitting down with writer stephanie williams stick around all right welcome back nerds we are here with writer uh, stephanie williams uh thank you so much stephanie for joining the show today
0: oh no problem at all thank you so much for the invite
1: Um, So we always like to start our interviews with our guests like nerd origin story like what's your amazing fantasy 15 like when did you first realize that you were a nerd and what pointed you in the direction to where you are now and being a writer.
0: Okay, so the first time I actually realized I was a nerd was um, the sixth grade, I had found a, um, like a couple sleeves of Pokemon cards in the desk that I was in because we were like switching classes or whatever and. I was extremely excited about finding this because there were a bunch of holographic cards. So there was like a Charizard, a Blastoise, a Venusaur. This person really messed up because <laughs> those, like the, I think there was a Hitmonchamp. Like there was a bunch of stuff. And I was like about to pass out because one, maybe this was wrong on me, but I was like, I, you know, whoever lost it, lost it. Cause it's not going to the lost and found I'm taking it home with me and on the Way back home uh, on the school bus or whatever, I um, like was showing my friends, and they were like, "Girl, what is that?" And that's when I knew they. I mean, they looked at me as though I had grew a second head, and that was the moment I knew. I was like, "Yeah." you're a nerd. Like I was doing super nerdy stuff before then or whatever, but I think I just nerded out so hard in that moment and that was the first time I either really paid attention to someone's reaction or really nerded out like that in front of some friends and they were like, hmm, not sure what that is, <laughs> but are we watching 106 in Park uh, later on today? <laughs> so, so that was the first moment I realized and what set me on that path is just having an older brother. Um, So he was like really big and playing like Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat. And, you know, Street Fighter, Street Fighter and Marvel like go hand in hand yeah. because Capcom. And I remember, um, I forgot what Street Fighter it was, or if it was even Street Fighter. But I just remember seeing like Wolverine, Cyclops, Storm. Um, like on my TV screen as he was like playing the game. And I just kind of gotten to it. And he also had comics. So um, I don't remember the issue exactly, but he had an X-Men comic and either Storm was on the cover or in the book, one of the two. And I just kind of gravitated towards that because I remembered her from the video games. And then the uh, animated series coincidentally enough was coming on fox kids and then i actually sat down and watched it and i was like this is amazing and that just kind of snowballed into this thing and then i started noticing like when we went to the grocery store they had like a rack of comics um so i think i saw like batman this is when he had the long ears And aesthetically, that was just pleasing to me for whatever reason. So I remember picking that up. And um, at one point, Spider-Man 2099, because I really loved that blue. Again, aesthetically, it was pleasing to me. So I picked it up. And I just remember picking up comics randomly, either if we were at the grocery store or uh, my grandmother loved going to the thrift store, like before Goodwill, before it was the cool thing to do. And I would find so many comics there. Like I was in comic heaven. Some of those I wish I would have kept because I don't know, maybe I would have found, I found gold and I just didn't know it, but um, that's just kind of been my thing. And then from there I started getting into different fandoms like Star Trek and Star Wars. I was really big on those prequels. I'm so sorry, but I was, <laughs>
1: it
0: was only like 10. <laughs> so, um, for whatever reason, like they just really appealed to me. And then of course I went back to watch the older uh, Star, Star Wars or whatever. Um, but that—that's um—that's that. I've just been, you know, then got into anime thanks to Toonami. So it's been a smorgasbord of um, nerdy things. But I've always been in the thick of it.
2: That's awesome, and I will totally, I will totally uh, endorse your uh, your statement about Batman's ears. The longer ears always look better than the shorter ears
0: yeah i don't know what it is about those long ears like i just kind of i don't know like it's just aesthetically pleasing there's no rhyme or reason let me not even try to make make like make it sound like it's more than what it is
2: (laughs) so uh who are your your favorite heroes sort of in the in the nerd world and and what do you find uh, appealing about them
0: so definitely um sarah connor and um ellen ripley uh, those are the first and also i would have to add um Yahura from star trek as well and um why am i blanking on whoopi goldberg's character's name in star trek um guina i felt i hope gina okay like i it was something um but those four um just because like they just really had this presence and then just speaking specifically about ellen ripley um I don't know, like that first Alien, unfortunately, when I was younger, I found that boring. Um, I definitely love and don't feel that way now as an adult. But that second one, Aliens, um, I was just like, this woman is here leading um, these Marines and is, I don't like being more brave than them because she's already encountered this monster before. And I just ate it right on up. Same thing with Terminator. Um, I actually thought that John, um, not John Connor, but um, why am I blanking on the staff's name? I watch this movie all the time. Kyle? Yes. (laughs) I thought that Kyle was ruining Ripley's day. Um, I actually wrote about that later, um, but I just thought like he was ruining her day. Like This woman had her day off. Um, And now her life has been turned upside down because she has to give birth to the one person that's supposed to um, save the human race. And I loved her transformation from, you know, this not timid woman, but this woman who's just like, again, just getting by and then she meets this guy and there is this killing machine after them and she's terrified and scared for her life. But by the end of the film, um, you know, she is this badass that's just ready to do what needs to be done to make sure that uh, D-Day doesn't happen.
1: That's just, that's just fascinating. And, 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 and you say Guinan, um, I I love next generation so much. And, and it's, it's such a testament, I think to, to Whoopi Goldberg's presence as well, that she didn't really do a whole lot in this show. She just had this presence, this aura around her that you knew that she was in command. She may have been the bartender. She may have just been like the, the the ear that that everybody would go talk to and and all this stuff and go for advice even picard but then like Mm -hmm. she was always in control and she you knew that she was a badass like she didn't even have to do a whole lot it was just incredible
0: and i think that's probably another aspect that i really appreciated and loved about that because i mean of course a love of black woman to be doing action. But I I think I like the fact that she was in such command and didn't really have to lift the finger. Something about that I just I don't know, like really spoke to me and I loved it on down. Star Trek has just always been kind of near and dear to my heart anyway. Um because reruns, shout out to reruns and um not having cable (laughs) because (laughs) you get to (laughs) you get to experience all the all the things. But yeah, I just really love that, you know, she was the person that they're coming to ask for help or just like her opinion or whatever. And just the fact that she just had such a commanding presence and didn't have to like run around like a red shirt. She could just <laughs> be the bartender and be Gucci. So I, I love that.
1: I'll, I'll never forget the, the scene with her and Riker going back and forth. And, and, and uh, <laughs> Wesley is just trying to, to learn how to spit game. And it's just the two of them going back and forth. <laughs>
0: oh you're making me i I might need to do a rewatch (laughs) i'm gonna have to do one
1: so uh you have a really beautiful npr piece uh that that is on your your link tree uh and you talked about how comics really brought you through some tough times um so what are some of your like go-to stories or characters or arcs that always help to lift your spirits
0: um it's gonna have to be um the first run of Miracle Man. I'll actually um, throw in the second one too. But I bring up that first one because um, I don't like you really get the foundation of um, him and Big Bardo's relationship. And the reason why the relationship appeals to me so much because next to comics, romance, uh, romance novels are like my jam. So um, I think this is probably one of the first comics Series that I've read where the um, character's relationship um, with someone else (laughs) that was not a friend um, was actually, I don't know, like well thought out. And um, Barta isn't minimized in any kind of way, which I love because that often happens. Um, And even when she has her moments when she's being vulnerable or whatever, um, it's not used against her. She's just able to be that because, you know, superheroes should be able to be vulnerable and not just pass out because they're too strong. So, um It always just like I probably read that series maybe four times a year because I just really love the story and Jack Kirby man if he didn't write comics he should have been writing romance novels because he had he had the keys
2: yeah big <clears throat> big Barda in general is just such a great character and one that I I just don't think we see enough of in in, in modern DC comics anymore uh, just a fantastic character yeah. Yeah. So in addition to writing, you're also a fellow podcaster. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Yes. So um, a friend of mine talked me into podcasting and was like, well, what the heck would I talk about? I'm like, you should talk about what you already talk about, which is, you know, what you're reading um, as far as comics are concerned, what you're watching, all of that. So um, I started the Lemonade podcast, which was Man, it is really hard to do a podcast by yourself because, like, you're just talking, so um, you have to kind of be mindful of just the dead air. Um, but I started doing that, and I enjoyed it um, because, again, like I was already talking about it um, with friends, so might as well share it with everyone else. Um, so I did that, and then um, "Misty Nights Uninformed Afro" I did as well, and. That was a podcast that was near and dear to my heart because it focused on uh, black superheroes but kind of going at an academic approach. So I got to research and research and research my little heart out, which I love to do because research is like uh, writing, but not really. At least that's what I tell myself now. But um, I got to do that. And I, I loved it because letting folks know, like, hey, just because like Storm isn't the only black superhero went out there. I know people know that, but a lot of people don't. So it was nice to like introduce folks to um, Misty Knight if they weren't, they didn't know ever. Same thing with Monica Rambeau, or at least introduce them to more stories than they've seen. Because um, through the research, I found that one, it's kind of hard to research these characters because a lot of them don't have solo books. In fact, um, outside of like Storm, none of them really have any solo books. And um, that was, I don't know, it was two things. I think one, it just pushed me towards wanting to write comics more. Like that's always been a desire. But when that, um, not even necessarily a realization, but when that was just, I was just reminded of that. I'm just like, wow, I would really love to write a Storm or my own character or Monica Rambeau or someone like that. Um, because like I. I feel like they could have a standalone series. I mean, hell, if multiple man can have one, Monica Rambeau, damn sure could. So, um, and no, and that's no shade to we, a we, multiple men. Like, We like love you, women. Jamie.
2: We love you, Jamie. But yes. well, come on, <laughs> yeah, I
0: do love you, multiple man. But um, yeah, that was just a really great podcast because um, again, like it really appealed to. Um, the STEM side of me and just doing the research and, um, trying to piece together information and, you know, present it to folks. So Misty Night's Uninformed Afro is actually what led me into writing. Um, because when that podcast came to, um, an end, it was like, I got all this research that, you know, I still haven't covered and there's still stuff that I want to talk about. So, um, I ended up pitching a couple pieces to um, fangirls and it just kind of went from there and the two pieces that I pitched uh, one was about the evolution of Dora Milaje because my mind was blown after I'd seen um, Black Panther and just how they were in the movie compared to our introduction to them um, and Christopher um, Priest's run of Black Panther like it was just such a huge difference and I was like I need people to know this. Like, I need them to know that these characters went from being, you know, 14-year-old girls to grown women with their own lives outside of T'Challa. So um, that and the other one was, um, you know, superheroines dealing with different forms of misogynoir. Um, which I thought was important because, you know, sometimes folks think just because you got superpowers, you don't deal with certain things. and I'm like, hey, no, people are still testing them, even though they could strike them down with a bolt of lightning. No, they are still being tested. So um I was really happy that those were my first pieces for them. And it just really snowballed from there.
1: So in in addition to your freelance writing for some amazing sites like Sci-Fi Fangirls, Marvel, AV Club, Nerdist, What to Watch, Rotten Tomatoes, you also ascribe two webcomics. Um, tell us about But What If, though, and Parenthood Activate.
0: Okay, so Parenthood Activate um, was my very first webcomic, and that came out of the fact that I was already sharing like parenting triumphs and struggles on Twitter and I noticed that sometimes or a lot of times those would go viral so I'm like okay well that must mean that folks are interested and again like I've been wanting to write comics but wasn't really sure how to go about it um so I spoke to a good friend uh, named Regine Sawyer and she was like, hey, just, you know, do the thing. Like, if there's an artist that you want to work with, reach out to them and go ahead and do that. So there was an artist, um, Sarah Macklin, um, who had done some um, cover art for the Missy Nice Uninformed Afro podcast. And I told her about the idea and she loved it. She had a um, you know art style that she thought that uh, would fit it perfectly, and it does. And it just kind of went from there. I think maybe there were one or two pages out before, but what if though came to be? Because that was always an idea that I had in the back of my mind, but I wasn't sure um, as far as like artists was concerned, like what I wanted to do with that. So I saw that O'Neill Jones had um, her commissions open. I was at a baby shower and um, in between games or something like that. And I slid into her DMs and I was like, hey, you know, would you be open to doing like a comic page for your commission? she was like, yeah, sure. So I gave her the first script was um, Batman uh, and his consent, his contingency plans and him not realizing that Vixen's hair wasn't necessarily part of her power set, but because it's Bruce, he had to go ahead and keep tabs and, you know, just make sure that if the time came, he would know how to, uh, take her out (laughs) like he wants to know how to take out everybody else so um that grew into a thing and actually the second um page for that webcomic was the pilot I guess you would call it um for living heroes so that happened and blew up I mean I was just playing around when I made that script I was watching living single and I was like you know what if Misty Knight had to move in with I don't know Storm Monica Storm and Monica because the Phoenix died again because for whatever silly reason she decided to move back in with Jean Gray and um it just yeah it just kind of went from there and then we did a second page with um, Power Couples Court with uh, Neymar Sue and Reed um, Richards <laughs> and then because at first I was actually just going to just make that the whole page i was like well no this this feels like something a show that would exist in this like in this marvel 227 is what i'll call it um this feels like it would it would exist there so end up putting um misty night in it and then having sam um enter and then it just turned to again snowballed into a whole thing and next thing i knew i was like trying to figure out Kickstarter and thankfully it funded and now living heroes exist in its entirety i would love to do a
1: season two well i i'm sitting here like holding my my physical copy and and just like it's i gotta tell you it's like a love letter um to like both like the show and you know like marvel heroes but then also like black culture at large so i have a, a just like some preface like i have a very unique background Um, I'm a white guy, um, but I was raised by, um, a black man. Uh, I don't like to use the S word, but stepfather. So, so my, my dad came into my life when I was six years old and, and that's the upbringing that I have. I, you know, I grew up in, in black barbershops. I grew up, you know, so I look at the back cover and I see all these different (laughs) hairstyles and I was like, Oh my God, I get it. So, um, all down to the fact where like, um, you know um, just like the, the jet beauty of the week is when you open the page. I remember going to the babysitter's house and sneaking off with the jet magazine and (laughs) (laughs) getting in trouble. But, um, so I just, I just love this, this book so much. And, and it it is, it's just like a, a, a love letter to all parts that are, that are, uh, you know, encapsulated in this.
0: Thank you so much. And um, it's funny you mentioned that because a lot of people have said that to me and um, I'm just like, that was, I don't want to say that that wasn't the intent, but it kind of also wasn't the intent. And and by that, I mean, I was just, I guess subconsciously just putting all that um, has been my, um, I don't know, like my nerd, just me being a a black woman who is a nerd basically, Um, and just, I guess, marrying all these things together, because um, they're all me. So, um, you know, I love Marvel Comics, but sometimes, and a lot of fandoms, the way that I relate to them is, you know, relating them to stuff that um, the Black experience, Mm -hmm. Um, and I guess that ended up coming out um, just quite naturally, and I love that it did. Um, because if anything that just tells me that, um, it's okay for me to just continue to be me and people will, that will speak to people.
1: And and you, and you really bring up a fascinating point about, you know, being a black nerd and, and my wife, um, is a, is a blurred as well. And so like, I knew, I knew when I first met her that she was a, like, she had nerd cred because the first five minutes of talking to her on the phone, I said, who's your favorite superhero? And she said, spectrum. I was like, oh, yes. oh, you're you're a real nerd. <laughs> OK, so when I saw Tiana Paris was cast as adult Monica Rambo, I was geeked because the best I could do for Christmas one year was to get her like the tiny little hero clicks of Monica Rambo. Like it, it, it yeah. fits in like it's the tiniest little thing. So now I'll be able to get her like proper, you know, swag.
0: I can't wait I'm so excited like when they so what was that last year doing um during a comic con or whatever I've said I wasn't gonna watch the Marvel I wasn't gonna watch any of that or not watch it but be on Twitter when all of that was happening and then they started announcing stuff I was kind of paying attention and then they announced what was going on with WandaVision and then they said that she was going to be on the show and I lost it I like I because I love that actress because I used to watch Survivor's Remorse and they canceled it right when I had gotten like really into it. And I was like, but I want some more time. <laughs> I want some more of her. So, um, anyway, like I think that she's a phenomenal actress. So I'm just really excited. Also, the fact that she's going to be in Captain Marvel 2 mm-hmm. and then also in Loki. So that tells me, like, okay, you all clearly understand. The importance of this character i pray because if not then i wouldn't think that you would have mm-hmm. her in so many different shows yeah and also i'm just like please let me write that monica Rambeau series like i just want six issues that's all i want
2: yeah that's fantastic it's a great character I'm, I'm also looking forward to seeing her uh realized in live action is just another character uh in a, in a lot of ways like big Barda that's just underappreciated and doesn't doesn't get enough you know time in the spotlight. We're actually really, really interested always uh, on our podcast in the collaborative process between writers and artists. Uh, What has that experience been like for you? You do a lot of work, for example, uh, including Living Heroes with O'Neill Jones. How does that process work? Is it it very much, uh, you know, you you write a script and, and, you know, your artists work off of that or is it more collaborative? What's the back and forth like?
0: Um, it's a little bit, it's been a little bit of both. Um, I've been thankful enough that we just kind of have this synergy where, um, you know, I can't just write a script and she already knows like what I was thinking as I was writing it. Um, because the last, uh, but would have to come out for 2020 was with, um, the brunch place in, uh Krakoa. And like, I didn't tell her to put um, silhouette on the wall twerking, but she just did it. And I'm like, yeah, because you knew that I would love something like that. So um, there's been moments like that. Um, The barbershop page on the back of the Living Heroes um, book was actually all her idea. I had mentioned it before, but not directly. I think I had uh, tweeted something about the fact that I couldn't think of Shard without thinking of T-Boss. And she remembered that and she was like, so what if I did this? And I'm like, yes, please. Absolutely. I will give you the characters. You know, I will give you, you can have creative direction on what hairstyles you want to give them, but here are the characters. That is an amazing idea. Thank you. So um, we just have, again, the synergy. So I hope at some point in time, whether it be DC, Image, Marvel, or whoever, We get to work on a book um, professionally together. That would just be amazing. And then I've had the joy of working with multiple artists on um, BWIT, which has been um, actually for me as a writer, a great experience. Um, Because one, I get a feel for different artists and like who needs references, who doesn't. You know who needs a little bit more explanation in the script and then who doesn't, and just kind of getting used to different people's work styles, which I think has been phenomenal for me um, and hopefully for them too, but at least on me on the writer side, um, just having more of an understanding of you know trying to make my script as efficient as possible so that the artist can do what they need to do.
1: And and one last note on, on uh living heroes, can we talk about how Jennifer Walters as a white woman of color is like the greatest idea ever?
0: So funny enough, about that, um that script ended up and that whole entire story was supposed to be another story which would have been the the hottest AF story. And those both of those were like born from the same script that I was stuck on. So um, by the time I finished that script, I was like, you know, what would I name this? I'm like, oh, wait, because Jennifer is, while she has Black friends, still respectful, um, but, you know, still has her moments where she just doesn't understand culturally, which is totally fine. And I was like, yeah, white woman of color, because to me, that's how I was considering um, Jen in this book. I was like, I know she's white, but she's green all the time. So white woman of color definitely applies here. (laughs)
1: Uh, so it has been officially announced. It's on Marvel's site, so we can talk about it, right? But you're going to yes. be writing for next month's Mar- uh, a piece for uh, next month's Marvel's Voices Legacy. I've ordered probably way too many variant covers already. But what can you <laughs> tell us about that project?
0: I can tell you that the artist that is on it is a big name artist, and I will almost faint it when they told me that they would be working, um, like drawing my 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 script. Uh, the ink's look amazing i wish i could share it with y'all but again like yeah i don't know it's just it's just wild and crazy but the story um is very much in the same energy as living heroes and parenthood activates um uh, so it's kind of leaning in the slice of life but there's there's a little bit of action um at the end but um monica monica and her mom and uh she hulk and thor are all all in the same story
1: Oh man, that I'm I'm sold already.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's super exciting.
0: Yeah, when they uh told me to pick who I wanted, um of course I picked Monica like that was the first like I couldn't send that email quick enough, but it was like Monica and our mom. And then I was like, and if it's not too much, can I also have She-Hulk and Thor? And we're like, yeah, you can, if it's not going to, you know, be too many people on the page. And yeah. And I was like, okay, I will figure out a way to write the story where it's not too many people on the page. I,
1: I also love just another, another, tidbit on on monica like her initial um first appearance in the the amazing spider-man annual peter Mm -hmm. parker like she walks onto the page and peter parker just immediately turns around like whoa who's that girl and like (laughs) peter peter knows what's up so as as you know my favorite superhero peter knows peter's peter's about it
0: peter does know so i will give him that credit i don't i don't know why he
1: i don't know why he and glory grant didn't you know yeah
0: i don't i don't someone's got to bring that back 'Cause I, I don't even is are he and MJ back together or not together?
1: They're still? they're back together. Um that's kind of like a, a work in progress, but they're dating. Okay,
0: okay that's fine. Uh, you know what? Side note, they when they're allowed to be great, they're really great. Um the amazing Spider-Man, um, like that those early issues from like eighty nine to 92 maybe 93 and same thing with
1: um peter
0: parker the spectacular spider-man are some of my fave because it's given me big barda and mr miracle energy
1: absolutely i love i love those especially that um especially i there are there are moments when jm de is writing when i i love spectacular even more than amazing Mm
0: -hmm. yes yes actually so that was funny. Like I went from really enjoying um, or really loving amazing. And then I got to I, what made me read Spectacular? I think there was two stories going on, going on at the same time. And I was like, well, I need to know like what happened. I need more <laughs> details. And that's when I ended up switching over to Spectacular. So I was like reading them both in tandem. And I was like, wow, you know what? This is actually really, really good. Also, a lot of butts. A lot of a lot of prominent butts during that um, that run, because I mean, like they kind of caught me off guard. and I was like, well, I'm going to have to find a way to write about this because this is just too much.
2: (laughs) Now, we always end our show with uh, our nerd commendations, nerdy shows, films, comics that we've been enjoying. Do you have anything that you would nerd commend to our listeners right now?
0: I do, and I apologize ahead of time because it's it's a fun watch, but it's also a stressful one. And that is Promise Neverland. It's an anime that is available now on Netflix, and I believe second the second season starts this week, um, uh, so January 9th, and um, wow, I uh, like I didn't want to watch it at first because I saw the happy kids on the screen. I was like, I don't watch this fluff. And then, what was it, um, I think the day after Christmas, yes, it was the day after Christmas because I needed to um, wash away Wonder Woman 84 from my mind, <laughs> and I, which a movie that has now earned a special place in my heart, which is un, not unfortunate, but I don't know how that happened, but anyway, um, I started that series, and I don't want to give anything away, but it's Like the smiles that you see on the Netflix, like screen, that is not, no, that's not at all the energy. Like I was stressed the entire time I watched it and I don't know, there hasn't, there's been a long time since I've been stressed like that watching um, an animation. I think Infinity Train might be the closest, but yeah, that had me super stressed. I highly recommend like the, it's, it's actually some really great storytelling
2: now i have to ask because you brought it up i have some really complex feelings about about wonder woman 1984 w- what sort of your sense of the movie overall
0: i it feels like um many hands were in the cookie jar and nobody got any cookies out like they all got crumbled up because everybody was grabbing and no one was actually getting anything um i really wish that they would have just picked one villain. And I know a lot of um, hero movies are like doing this now where it's just, we're not doing this now, doing it for a little bit, but there's gotta be like two villains or more. Just give us one. (laughs) And it could have just been Barbara. Not that I wasn't happy to see Pedro Pascal because I thought he was, actually thought he was really great as Max Lord um, just because that's Pedro Pascal. But um, focus on the budding friendship. I wish they would have done that because it would have meant way more when Barbara finally turns on um, Diana and, you know, we have our whole thing with them, but less Steve, maybe no Steve. um, And just give us Barbara and Diana. um, Yeah. Just give us that. Like I really wish we would have gotten that because I think that Cheetah is an amazing character and we don't get to see that on screen. We barely get to see, Wonder Woman be Wonder Woman. Actually, Steve is Wonder Woman in this movie.
2: I was actually really disappointed how the whole thing, you know, turned out with Steve because, you know, based on the trailer, so I thought there was, you know, a, a mission, a rhyme, a reason, or something behind his return. But he he didn't really serve a, a, um, a really any kind of purpose in the overall plot. I, I didn't feel so it, no, well, it was no reason for him to be there.
0: No, um, other than to like teach Diana how to be Wonder Woman, which is really unfortunate. Um, it just it just really is. And like, hey, if they wanted to have him there, sure, I guess. But um, they also just kind of made it weird the way he came back. Actually, more than weird. Um, because I'm like, ooh, this is ninety two ghosts. Like, what are we doing? So, (laughs) (laughs) I. I really, really wish they would have done a pottery scene. It would have, I mean, nothing else in the movie really like made a lot of sense, so I just wish they would have done a pottery scene instead of the um, fireworks, because why not? You've already gone there, just do it. That actually would have made me to appreciate it more.
2: We need to shoot that out to social media. We need a pottery scene between Wonder Woman and Steve Trevor. I'm sure one, one artist or another is going to pick up on that. <laughs>
1: i hope so <laughs> so i i haven't seen it yet but the the overwhelming the one of the few things that i've seen that has been positive is pedro pascal and and i just love everything that he does like i want to cast him in everything like i'm still not over the red viper's death from game of thrones like i love everything oh. that he does
0: oh you just broke my heart bringing that up i was so i'm like be quiet i know finish him off just walk <laughs> away
1: just walk away <laughs> He was done. You defeated him. Walk away.
0: Oh, you've just opened old wounds, Chris. Thanks a lot. Because I've been trying to... Oh, Game of Thrones. They are so lucky they did not do that last season in 2020 because they thought they got bad, uh, whatever, in 2019. I couldn't even imagine um, no. them doing... No. Because that everyone like everyone's for real at home.
1: Every, everybody so, was cooped up just watching that I, you know what? I didn't even watch it. I just made my wife tell me what happened because I was like, I already just know it's going to be awful. Just, just <laughs> tell me what happens. And she gave me the rundown. I was like, yep, I'm glad I didn't watch it. So I stopped after the Battle of Winterfell. I just had to see. That was I had to see my so girl Arya have her moment. I had to see. Had to have uh, Arya kill the Night King. And then I knew it was going to be all trash after that.
0: That was so smart on your, your end. But I just I had to do it like I had to finish like a fool
1: um so but before we let you go we have to talk about your twitter feed because you you oh, are a must follow on twitter not just for the nerdy goodness um but also for the best memes and comedy on the interweb so how in the world do you find all this stuff stephanie
0: i don't know i like to blame it on my gemini brain because i'm thinking of <laughs> multiple things at once so like I don't know, like, a lot of times when I'm reading comics, I'm probably watching reality TV show in the background, so a lot of Real Housewives of Atlanta, a lot of Potomac, um, Beverly Hills, all of that, and that just kind of seeps in, and then I find connections with stuff that, like, set it off in Spider-Man, because Pete, I was watching, so I was re-watching the Sam Raimi Spider-Man, and I had just recently watched that it off, and, um, Peter goes in to collect his money. He's like, I need that money. I'm like, oh my God, was Sam Raimi watching? Um, Set it Up? <laughs> 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 this sounds exactly the same. So it's just a lot of me again, because of the way like I'm just processing things. Um, a lot of stuff is just way more connected than we pay attention to. And it just always works. So, like, when I learned how to use iMovie on my phone, it was a wrap because <laughs> it was like, all I got to do is like find this video clip um, and then do this. And then here we go. Cause a lot of times, like I'll be watching something. And I'm like, that is hilarious, but it would be even more hilarious if I add something to it.
1: So, so now I have Tobey Maguire in, in shades in that movie poster, like me, yes. meat mugging next to queen Latifah. That's it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs>
0: One day, um, when I'm not too tired, I might actually do a thread (laughs) on the uh, cinematic parallels between those two movies. Because there actually are more, which at first I was like, maybe you're just really tired and you're seeing this. But no, like (laughs) there are actually some more. So um, be on the lookout for that.
2: Yeah, this this whole conversation has just been absolutely delightful. Uh, we do want to ask, where can our listeners go to support you and your work? Where can they find you online? How can they show their uh, love and support for you?
0: So the easiest way right now, um, because the website that I have is not up yet, but if you go to uh, my Twitter or my Instagram, um, it's at Steph underscore I underscore Will for both of them. In the bio is a link to my link Linktree, and there is the Patreon for But What If Though, so? there is the page to Parenthood Activate, which has a donate button, and there's also Coffee, where you can purchase uh, either a PDF or a physical book of Living Heroes, and also my um, authory page is on there as well, which you can subscribe to, so you don't have to, like, try to find all my things all over the internet they're all right there as far as all of the articles i've written can
1: can we just talk about i just found linktree like two or three weeks ago can we talk about what a revelation that is for like for our podcast like here's our youtube page here's our twitter page here's our instagram page like just having that all in one place is so nice rather than oh here's one link here's another but um it's so amazing uh, it's so great, Stephanie. Thank you so much. Thank you for Living Heroes. Thank you for just creating and cranking out beautiful content for us to enjoy. And thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thanks a lot. You
0: know, thank you guys so much for opening up your platform to have me come on. Absolutely, I sincerely appreciate it.
1: All right, major thanks to Stephanie Williams for joining us on our Byword Big Talk. When we come back from this, our second and final break, we'll be hitting you with two more nerd commendations all right we are back for our final segment of the week our patented nerd commendations things that we think are awesome and nerdy that you should be enjoying as well dave you're in very very familiar territory for me what are you nerd commending this week
2: yeah i want to talk about some spider-man <laughs> which seems weird coming from me when it when it comes down to Dave and Chris. Chris is usually the Spider guy, but I've been away from Amazing Spider-Man for a while, and I had serious trepidations about one more day. I was reading, um, you know, Straczynski's run at the time, and how this story ended the storyline ended—the marriage between Peter and Mary Jane. It left me pretty upset. I, I did read some Brand New Day, and I. Felt like it was really not brand new day and more brand old day. It really felt like being transported back to like the 70s or 80s era of Spider-Man comics. The stories were generally solid, but my heart just wasn't in it. And so I dropped off of Amazing. Then I came back later again and I read a bunch of Dan Slott's run. And I liked a lot of what he did. Uh, But after a while, it started feeling like his run was maybe going on a little too long. And I fell off the wagon again. And so here I am again, you know, back to Amazing Spider-Man. This time, I binged the first 30-odd issues of Nick Spencer's run. I think I am up to about issue 34 right now. And you know what? I like it. Seeing Mary Jane play a more prominent role in the book again and rekindling her relationship with Peter, that's something that, you know, is a lot of fun and I feel like has been missing from the book. The sprinkling in of obscure spider history is quite good. I enjoy it. And Kindred is a really fascinating villain. But no spoilers, I'm not caught up to the current storyline yet. I love what Spencer's been doing with Boomerang as Peter's roommate. I think there's a lot of fun going on with that character. And the storyline involving Kraven, a clear sequel to Kraven's Last Hunt, was really enjoyable too. Now, I know there's been some criticism that the Kindred stuff is way too slow burn and that Spencer's run has been a bit, you know, hit or miss. And I can't say I agree But I also binged, you know, 30-odd issues in about a week. So there wasn't really a slow burn for me. It was was a binge after all. I would probably feel a little differently about that particular element of the story had I been reading the book, you know, month to month. And can we talk about Patrick Gleason on Amazing Spider-Man? God, is things. Good golly. I loved his work at DC, especially on the Green Lantern franchise. And boy, oh boy, he's only gotten better if that were even possible. His art looks like he's having the time of his life on Amazing Spider-Man. It's just a visual feast. So yeah, you know, if you can binge some Nick Spencer Spidey, do it. I mean, the slow burn stuff might go down a little easier if you're binging it. All I can tell you for sure is that I'm really enjoying what I've read so far.
1: Yeah, I see I I'm contrarian to what a lot of Spider-Man fans are online about the Nick Spencer run. I I enjoy it by and large and and for for the most parts it does have a couple of lulls for me, but when it when it is that it's usually a single issue and it's usually like an inventory issue as they're kind of bridging between arcs. Um for me the biggest bone that I have to pick and and you'll maybe we can talk about this there when when you're caught up a little bit more is the Last Remains arc said that it was going to be done with issue 55, and there was still a lot left unsaid and unsettled at the end of The Last Remains arc. And now, since then, um, when we talked to Frank Martin about this, and he and I kind of shared that opinion, um, issues 56 and 57 have come out. A lot more has played out. Um, but, but if I had to give an overall verdict, I think, I think Spencer is an incredibly strong writer, and and I I really really enjoy that number one the issue number one where they're dealing with those aliens attacks and and the first intro of uh, of kindred uh, it was just amazing uh, pun intended and and so and and then you nailed it between between Ryan Otley and then transitioning to Patrick Gleason that's like Hall of Famer to Hall of Famer like transitioning that's like Joe Montana Joe Montana to Steve Young. Uh, for me, like it's just beautiful, and just wait till you get to the last remains. That's that's the last remains. I really, really enjoy. Am am enjoying it, and 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 it's really well written. um But the art from Gleason when he draws Kindred, it's just something that is otherworldly, uh, and and is just beautiful. But I I'm enjoying it by and large. uh The Spencer run, and and I think it was a much needed update. I love Dan Slott, love that what he was able to do with the character. But after 10 years, it was time for a transition and it was a much needed breath of new life, I think.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's I think one of the good things about the American comic book market as compared to something like, you know, manga is just although I think sometimes having a singular vision is a good thing. In in the case of manga, for example, there, there is usually an end point that eventually arrives. But if you're going to have this this never-ending soap opera of the American comic book market, then yes, you, you do need to switch up writers and artists. You you just have to, otherwise it gets stale. Yeah. And so as much as I enjoyed Dan Slot's run, I was starting to spin my wheels a little bit, about halfway into it, where I was starting to feel like it was all just a little samey, You know, I felt like I've kind of, I kind of had learned all of Dan Slott's tricks. Nothing was really surprising me anymore. Uh, I'm talking like, you know, post, post post-Superior Spider-Man, basically things just started. It was like, it was like almost like Dan Slott's um, magnum opus was Superior Spider-Man. And then he came back from that and it just never quite hit the same stride again. Absolutely. And so... Yeah, so so having the switch up I think is really good. I've I've really enjoyed these 30 some issues. I'm going to probably spend the next week or so trying to, you know, get up to date on 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 Spencer's run, but I'm really enjoying it and it it's just it's nice to enjoy a Spider-Man book uh without, you know, feeling like it's pushing me away with stuff like, you know, one more day or feeling like just a, you know, an old retread of of storylines I've seen before. You know, it's doing enough new stuff that I that I'm really enjoying it.
1: I, I I totally agree. And and to your point about switching up creative teams, I talked about Donnie Cates taking over Thor from Jason Aaron after seven or eight years. And and what I loved about that seamless transition is it seems like Jason Aaron had like a clear seven-year plan for Thor. And he left exactly when he wanted to from the book. When he finished the King Thor miniseries issue four of king thor it was a perfect time to walk away and and it's like like we've talked about it before like when you binge a show and it like has fewer episodes rather than more and i think that's one of the strengths of something like the mandalorian like keep you hungry for more rather than than playing it out for so long to where you're like oh it's almost like a chore where you have to read it like oh here's another issue of asm i guess i gotta read this because i've been following this book and and when you like position it perfectly it 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 keeps the fun alive for for enjoying that character
2: yeah absolutely so chris you are going to hulu and recommending a television series what do you got
1: so um i missed having our nerd commendations in the month of october but pun intended i think you guys created a monster with this uh nerd nightmare thing because i'm recommending a show about vampires Never would have thought that before, but then again, it's the guy that I will follow to the ends of the earth. It's Taika Waititi. I'm talking about what we do in the shadows. It's a series on Hulu has two seasons really quick. You can fly through it. 22 minute episodes, really fantastic. And it's everything. I mean, it's everything you would think a Taika Waititi production would, would be. Um, it's a series that he co-produces uh, co-directs with Jermaine Clement. If you know um, Moana uh, Tamatoa, the the crab shiny, uh, that's Jermaine Clement. Uh, so like they do it together and it's just comedic genius. And it's so basically the premise of the show is it's this documentary that follows around three vampires that live on Staten Island. And there's just a bunch of hilarious nonsense that ensues. Um, Kaven Novak plays Nandor the Relentless. He's uh, a vampire from the Ottoman Empire. Matt Berry plays Laszlo. Natasha Demetro plays his wife, Nadia. And then Hardy Guien plays Guillermo, uh, Nandor's uh, familiar. And then Mark Proch, if you watch the latter seasons of The Office, Nate, he plays Colin Robinson, who is a psychic vampire or an energy vampire. And he's just that boring guy in The Office that talks to you. And by boring you to death, that's how he feeds. He doesn't bite your neck and suck your blood. He just talks you to death and it annoys the crap out of you. So it's just like a really, really funny show that is just off the wall and bonkers. Just think like Thor the Thor Ragnarok or, or something from The Mind of Taika Waititi that is just played out over a series. So it's like a slow burn and it's just like this beautiful thing. And it has... I, I want to say, like, the best thing about it is like the guest star roles are just pitch perfect. Like Nick Kroll comes on for an episode as Simon the Devious, and he's like a nightclub owner in Manhattan. Um, Tyka himself and Jermaine Clement are part of like this vampire council. Um, I'm pretty sure in an episode that I haven't watched yet that Mark Hamill is even a vampire. Yeah, Jim the Vampire in in an episode in the second season. So. It's just really, really great. Um, It's just super funny. Like, I can't recommend it enough. So what we do in the shadows on Hulu, you'll binge through it really, really quickly.
2: You know, after Thor Ragnarok, I instantly knew I was going to like Taika Waititi's work. And I will admit, I'd barely even heard of this show. I know you had mentioned it in passing a couple of times. But other than that, I've, I've been pretty much clueless. The way you describe the show, it sounds like a lot of fun, though. And as a fan of horror movies, I love a good twist on some scary screechers. Vampires, as long as they don't sparkle, are some of my favorite horror movie monsters. So seeing them in this kind of comedic setting would no doubt be fun, especially with Waititi's touch of humor. So I I really think I need to give this one a whirl.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's as advertised. It's just hilarious. Like, I, I, I have to say that, like, natasha demetro as nadia she's just a revelation she's super funny she's super charged like she's just hilarious every line that she has is hilarious she also is she's a big star in in the uk she's also on this series called staff Let's flats it's about um it's on hbo max i think it's about like this these greek immigrants in in the uk that try and sell uh flats uh, you know apartments in london and it's just so funny but like it's it's some of that like british humor i guess too so maybe that's why i'm a big fan of brit humor it's just like really like intellectual humor as well and it's just so funny i can't recommend it enough
2: well i'm there for it
1: All right, nerds, that wraps up another episode of the Nerd by Word podcast. Thank you so much for joining in. Thanks to Stephanie Williams for joining us today. Be sure to check her out on Twitter at Steph underscore I underscore Will. um, And and be on the lookout for Marvel Voices Legacy next month.
2: And uh, as always, if you enjoy a podcast, please give us a rating or review and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. We're available everywhere podcasts can be found, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. You can also find us on Twitter, at nerdbyword, or individually at thatnerdchris and at thatnerddave.
1: You can also hit us up on Instagram at the same call signs, that's at nerdbyword for the show's page, individually at thatnerddave and at thatnerdchris. Also be sure to check out Dave's writing website, thatnerddave.com, where he just released the very first incarnation of Tomb Raider Thursdays. And as always, stay well and stay nerdy.
2: The Nerd Byword is written and produced by Chris and Dave, two nerds with a love of all things pop culture. The podcast features music by Al Jimenez and show art by Ashri Design. Find us at nerdbyword.com and wherever podcasts are available.